Welcome to season two of the Growing Opportunities podcast with me, Megan Darcy. And me, Michelle Roberge. As farmers and landowners in the Bulkland and Chaco region, we understand the struggle of navigating through the rights and responsibilities of being a rural landowner, industrious farmer, and a good neighbor. Join us this season as we answer the top 10 questions we get asked as regional district agriculture coordinators. Topics will include farm classification, fencing, invasive species, and more. So listen in and keep growing. The RDBN is providing this podcast as a public service. It is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of government policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the RDBN. The views expressed by staff and guests are their own and do not represent the opinion of the RDBN or any of its directors. Presenters are not subject matter experts and information presented should be verified by certified professionals prior to informing business or legal decisions. In today's episode, we'll be focusing on the land we live on and the why and how about leasing that land if we choose to do so. Starting with the land we live on, there are a lot of considerations and situations that can come up as a rural landowner. If you choose to work your land, you need to decide on what crops or pasture grasses are best, what mechanisms to use, knowing about your soil health, composting, etc. Back in season one of the Go podcast, in episode three called Forage, Megan Darcy spoke with a number of folks about their recommendations, tips and tricks related to soil health and crops. I recommend going back and listening to that podcast again if you want to learn more. The link is below. In this podcast, we're going to focus on a very common issue that all landowners have to deal with, invasive plants. These are the plants we don't want growing in our fields, yards, and driveways. There is a lot to understand about invasive plants, including, and most importantly, how to get rid of them. And if you didn't know, folks that live within the regional district of Bulkalina Chaco have access to a landowner rebate where they can apply for financial support in tackling invasive plants on their property. This is funded in large part by the regional district of Bulkalina Chaco, but is administered by the Northwest Invasive Plant Council. And here to talk more about the Northwest Invasive Plant Council and their work across the region, plus the landowner rebate, is manager Penny Adams. Well, thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast, Michelle. My name is Penny Adams, and I am the program manager for the Northwest Invasive Plant Council. Can you please just give us a definition of an invasive species of plant? What does that mean? Invasive plants are non-native or alien plants that have been accidentally or deliberately introduced into areas beyond their native range. And their spread may negatively impact the environment, our economy, or society, which includes human health and actually animal health. But it's important to remember that not all introduced or alien plants are invasive. So which ones are very common within the region? And then on the flip side, which are the highest priority to eradicate? That's Rather a difficult question, I'll try and keep it fairly short, because your region covers quite a large range of sort of environments and ecological and um, niches, just because of the extent of it. So um, I'm going to talk very broadly. So a few of the most common throughout the region, and basically ubiquitous on any landscape in BC and in the RDBN as well, are things like yellow and orange hawkweeds, oxide daisy, candida thistle, scentless chamomile, burdock and Dalmatian toad flax, and there's many more, but these are the ones that people most often recognize and see. 
particularly if they're, you know, traveling along the roadways and whatnot. So we don't manage those species due to their extent, or they have very little environmental or economic or social detrimental impacts. What we do focus on are what we call the highest priority plants. So answering the second part of your question, uh, the highest priority for plants for control are common tansy, mountain bluet, field scabious, policeman's helmet, or also known as Himalayan balsam, and yellow flag iris, which is a semi-aquatic, a riparian type plant. So eradication is not likely across the whole region, but we can eradicate small infestations in defined areas. Okay. And for example, I think field scabious, there's um, uh, a hotspot here in Vanderhoof or close to Vanderhoof, right? Is that correct? It covers quite a large area. You don't sort of see it all clumped together, but it, the extent is a fairly large, fairly defined area um, where mm-hmm. we don't have the money really to be able to tackle it. What we're trying to do is keep it from spreading. So there's sort of this imaginary line around the, that area. We call them containment polygons. Right. Uh, they're not a legal entity or anything. They're something that we just use to go, okay, let's work outside this, keep it under control or eradicate it outside of this area, and then start knocking it back. Can you give a brief outline of who the Northwest Invasive Plant Council is? And then how you're funded and you know what your mandate is? All right, then. So to make it a short we call it the NWIPC, so we can say it quickly, it is a nonprofit organization tasked with invasive plant management over one third of BC's land base, including Haida Gwaii. So we have a huge, huge area to cover. Uh, our mandate is to prevent further damage to the ecosystems of Northwest and Central BC from invasive alien plants and to try to rehabilitate ecosystems that have been degraded by their presence. And the way we can achieve that is through public awareness actually preventing them ever getting there, coming into your area, on-the-ground management activities, and support from our funding partners and other stakeholders. We are funded by the province, regional districts, municipalities, utilities, mining and communications companies. What can rural landowners do to reduce the spread of invasives on their property, as well as within the RDBN, just in general? Rural landowners can assist with stopping the introduction and spread of invasive plants through a number of activities like education and awareness of the impacts of invasive plants. And NWIPC does have an education and awareness program, so we can come out and talk to you or to community groups and whatnot about that. Um, Individual landowners can control or eradicate known species on their properties through, you know, basically maintaining healthy native and non-invasive plant life in their lawns. And if they're cultivating and planting fields no longer used for agricultural or forage use, so you're not allowing these plants an opportunity to get a hold. Um, You might have a few, but then you can control them easily. So a successful program aimed at preventing the introduction and spread of invasive species is called Play Clean Go. The regional district has adopted this program as well. And Play Clean Go is the mindset we should all follow when recreating, whether it's being regular cleaning of your RV that travels from one place to another, trail use for mountain biking, hiking, ATV, or horseback riding, and so on. And a sister program to that, what we call clean drain dry signs. So even though we're a plant council, we still promote clean drain dry, which is for all watercraft movement within and outside of the region to prevent the spread of aquatic species, like which we don't have yet, but quagga mussels, zebra mussels, um, and Asian milfoil and so on. Right. So a lot going on. There's a lot of programs to help prevent 
just the start of the spread of invasives. Well, the most important program is prevention. Yeah. Don't don't throw your plants over the ones you don't want over the fence, like Mountain Blue. That's why it's spreading all over the place. Don't don't take it and dump it down at the end of some forestry road and so on. So prevent the spread, but also prevent the introduction. So don't buy things that are known to be invasive. Right. And you do a, a little bit of that at plant stores, don't you? We do. We have what we call, we call it the garden blitz in the spring. Um, it's part of uh, what we call Grow Me Instead program, which comes out of the Invasive Species Council of BC. We have lots of materials on that. And it is aimed at letting gardeners know what is invasive, what they could maybe plant instead that has similar characteristics. Okay. And uh, there's a number of, there's books that we can hand out. We work with master gardeners and horticulture centers and garden centers, and we check to make sure that they're not selling invasive plants. Where we do have a little bit of a concern is when there are, quote, plant sales okay. um, held by organizations. And quite often the people, like, say, the uh, Prince George, um, David Douglas Botanical Society, when they have their plant sales, they usually ask us to come up and just scan everything to make sure that nobody's selling anything that's invasive. Oh, that's great. So there, is, there is buy-in at the horticultural level, yeah. Excellent. So when is it necessary then to call that uh, Northwest Invasive Plant Council? Well, it doesn't have to be necessary. You can call us anytime. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so you can call the NWIPC hotline at any time if you have a question or concern or wish to report a, you know, a confirmed or suspected invasive plant or if you need help with invasive plant control on your property or, as I mentioned before, want to have a workshop delivered to your organization. Uh, we do have, and we work with the RDBN on this, the rural private property owners may contact the NWIPC to apply for a landowner invasive plant removal rebate, mm-hmm. which the RDBN funds quite nicely, but um, we would like more people to use it. Absolutely. And this program is actually designed to give rural property owners a kickstart in removing or controlling invasive plants by assisting with some of the cost of having a qualified contractor do invasive plant management on their property. But like I said, the fund is limited and on a first-come, first-served basis. Right. That's excellent. And I know from the regional district's point of view, we really want landowners to to utilize that that rebate because every little bit helps. And if you can get um, the limit is up to $750, I think. Right now, it's at... 750 I believe, Um, but what the landowner gets is 50% back on the cost of Mm -hmm. the actual work done. So if the contractor gives them a bill for like everything, including travel, the only thing they get the rebate for is the actual work done on the ground. Right. Okay. And the cost of, if they're they're using chemicals, the cost of chemicals. So it's 50% of that. Excellent. Well, thanks, Penny. I really appreciate your time this morning and it's uh, always nice to talk to you. Thank you very much, Michelle. And thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. Not all landowners are set up to work their land or even deal with patches of weeds that are growing in a stressed pasture. Equipment like tractors, balers, cedars, etc. can be very expensive and not a viable option for some. Other landowners might be looking to retire, but want the land to still be worked. While still others might simply enjoy looking at their land more than working it. An option that is available to all landowners is leasing the land to someone else to work. This may sound risky and complicated, but luckily I was able to speak with Darcy Smith with Young Agrarians to get a lesson on the basics and potential benefits of leasing agricultural land. 
Welcome, Darcy. Thank you for coming. Uh, can you just share your name and position and who you work for? Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me today. I'm happy to be here. Uh, my name is Darcy Smith. I manage the BC Land Matching Program, which is delivered by Young Agrarians and funded by the province of British Columbia. So Young Agrarians is an educational resource network for new and young farmers. Last year, we worked with more than 2,000 farmers to help them access land, business mentorship, training, resources, and of course, most importantly, community. Young Agrarians is all about partnering up landowners and prospective producers and, and making those matches and building those relationships is from what I understand. Um, and the best tool for all the parties to understand their roles and responsibilities is usually outlined in the lease agreement, correct? Yeah, I would say the lease agreement is the the outcome and actually the tool is the, the conversations that you use to develop the lease agreement uh, when you work with a land matcher through the BC Land Matching Program, or if you're going about this on your own. A lot of people think of a lease as something that you have to have to protect you, um, a legal document that if you go to court, you have that kind of thing. But I actually would say that the best part of having the lease agreement is that document that outlines all of those expectations really clearly on both sides so that you can refer to it over the years, hopefully that you're working together on the land, um, because memory can be a bit of a funny thing. So after a year, two years, five years, 10 years, you might come back and say, well, what did we really agree to do in this situation? It's the first time it's coming up now. So having something to refer to is really amazing. But the real power in it is all of the, the relationship building and conversations that you have where you actually understand in detail what the other person needs, what's going to happen on the land. We have seen sometimes in, in a handshake agreement, people are excited. They're in you know the honeymoon phase. And with all of that positive intention, it can feel like nothing is going to go wrong. And it can really help to have facilitation, someone to help here. And this is what the land matchers do. An example that I often use is in a livestock grazing kind of agreement where fencing is going to be really important to the, the farm's operations. If there's already fencing on the property, the landholder has this ranch, say, that they want to lease to someone else. And the farmer and the landholder have a conversation about what happens if the fencing needs to be repaired. And say the landholder says, oh, yeah, if that happens... I'll take care of the repairs. That's my responsibility. No problem. That might seem like, okay, great. We've got that clear. That's a good place to leave it. Um, but my brain goes like really quite a lot further down the rabbit hole where I'm thinking, well, does that mean that the landholder is going to come and fix it themselves? Are they buying materials? Does the farmer have um, any input into that? What if the fence is broken and the landholder can't get to the property to fix it soon enough? Can the farmer go ahead and do that? If so, is the farmer actually managing the repairs and buying the materials and getting reimbursed by the landholder? Not to say that every element of an agreement needs that level of detail, but that's just an example of really time-sensitive pressure on sorting out all of those details. And um, it might create more conflict if you're trying to do it while you're also chasing your cows off of the neighbor's pasture, so to speak. Excellent. Good example. Point form. What do you think that the, the biggest benefits of, the, of a lease agreement are? Really clearly outlining, you know, what reasons this agreement could be terminated because exit strategies are always going to be 
really important for both sides. What happens at the end of the duration? Can it be renewed? It really gives both people um, confidence. It's it's balancing the security and flexibility that everybody needs to move forward with for farmers investing in their business, for landholders investing in their land and knowing it's being well stewarded. Excellent. So how does a landowner start the process of creating a lease agreement then? Like, are there any tips? Yeah, I mean, I would say reach out to a land matcher. We've got two phenomenal land matchers in central and northern BC, Morgan Kitchen and Andrew Adams. They're both available to help uh, landholders and farmers create these agreements. And that can be whether people come to the program to be matched up or they come with a match that they've already got whether that's a new agreement they're trying to form or say you've got a handshake agreement and and you're thinking it would be really nice to formalize this for whatever reason, um, we can support with those conversations and, and getting that going as well. And then you can still get support through the BC Land Matching Program to ensure that that match is going to be successful long term. Um, and, you know, once you're working with a land matcher or if you're going about this independently, uh, we do have some templates available on our website that people can can check out at youngagrains.org slash land. The land matchers have a big clause bank and a lot of experience with the templates, so they can really help you identify what needs to go in there. Um, but we've also got uh, a long list of questions in our land access guide right. that you can find on our website Are there tax implications to having a lease agreement? Um, One of the things that I can highlight is that um, sometimes landholders may need to charge GST on rent for leasing their land out. And this is going to be determined by whether they are self-employed. There can potentially be some implications around capital gains. If you have been farming your land and now you're going to lease it out, um, that can potentially impact your capital gains exemption for farmland. Are there any downfalls to having a lease agreement? The, The downfalls of a lease agreement are going to be the same as any land sharing situation, whether you have an agreement or not, is you've got something else happening on your land now that you need to factor into your decision making that is maybe going to change how you can use the land. Um, there's Maybe there's going to be someone else around. If you're renting out the cabin on your land and someone is doing a market garden, you know they're going to be present and you'll have to navigate that um, interpersonally on a regular basis. There are other, you know, if you have uh, longer term leases or leases that are registered on title, There might be some considerations for when you're selling your land. Um, And this is perhaps less of a downfall and more something to consider when you're looking at your long-term plans for your land. It's really going to depend on on what your individual needs are. Cool. Good. So where can we go to get more information about all this? Yeah, we would love to hear from from people. If you have land and you've considered making it available to a farmer or you're seeking land to start or grow your farm business, definitely reach out to a land matcher. You can find more information on our program at youngagrarians.org slash land. You can reach out to Morgan and Andrew directly by email. That's morgan at youngagrarians.org or andrew at youngagrarians.org. Or you can call us at 1-855-561-4633 and leave a voicemail. One of us will get back to you. Great. And we will include all that information in the body of this uh, podcast so folks can get to it nice and easily. Um, 
Darcy, thank you so much. You're a wealth of information. And that was a really good 10 minute lesson in what Elise is. It's been a pleasure. I love to talk about this stuff. Um, I I find it so interesting. And um, I've seen the impact that having a solid lease can have for folks and how it can give both the landholders and the farmers like really what they need to, to move forward confidently. So I'm excited to talk to everyone who's listening today and see how we can support you. Thanks again to our podcast guests, Penny Adams with the Northwest Invasive Plant Council and Darcy Smith with Young Agrarians. I'm Michelle Roberge. This has been Growing Opportunities Season 2. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out Season 1 of the Growing Opportunities podcast series wherever you get your podcasts or on the RDBN website. Thanks to Pamela Hassan from HassanPod.com for being our awesome producer, Jason Llewellyn from the RDBN for reading our liability statement, and the RDBN Economic Development Team for their wisdom and support. If you have comments or questions about agriculture in the regional district of Bulkley-Nachaco, please contact us by going to rdbn.bc.ca. Keep growing.